Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is Stephen Spector with you. With me, as usual, of course, is Rob Hirschfeld. Uh, good afternoon, Rob. Hello, Stephen. You keeping you keeping cool in the summer? I what am. I, I, well, we're up here in Boise. Our summers now we're back to the 80s. And I was out at six something this, this morning with my son getting ready for school. And it was like in the 50s. I think our summer's over here. I think you're you and Austin. Have our, our, our weather's twice as good as yours. <laughs> I live there, so I understand. Well, we'll have to ask our guest where, where he lives. I, I, I have a feeling he's in San Francisco, but I'm not sure. So let's welcome our guest, yep. Nick Alessandro, who's the Vice President of Product for Overclock. Uh, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Well, Nick, before we, we start talking anything, let's have it. Is the weather in San Francisco? I assume San Francisco. Uh, you still have San hot? Francisco summer. It's uh, 58 degrees and blowing fog right now. <laughs> that is standard. I always thought the, the summer in San Francisco is uh, cold, isn't it? The seasons seem to be flipped there, if I remember. Yeah, it's a, it, I think their frame shifted to the right. So around about uh, September, October is when we get our hot weather. Looking forward to it, let me tell you. So, Rob, just as it starts to get cold, you have to, we'll have to shift over there. Well, oh, Nick, let's, let's get going. So, our listeners, I'd like to have you give a quick overview of yourself and a little bit about the company, and then we'll jump into I am excited to learn about something I don't know today. Overclock is not a company I know, so we're really looking forward oh, to it. I'm the VP of product for Overclock Labs. We're the makers of the Akash Network, and the Akash Network is a decentralized protocol for provisioning, scaling, and securing cloud workloads. And I can describe all about that shortly, but about me, um, I've been a product manager since uh, pretty much forever, uh, focusing on bringing order to chaos, if you will. So releasing V1 products in environments of great uncertainty and focusing on infrastructure as well. And so I've been involved with infrastructure as a service for a while now. Started at a company called GoGrid, which was acquired by Datapipe. We fancied ourselves an Amazon competitor back when something like that was conceivable. And uh, (laughs) have have been drawn to the the funny and quirky world of uh, infrastructure ever since. For listeners, we have a ton of exciting topics to talk about. Distributed infrastructure, automation, containers, Kubernetes, and of course, blockchain. And, and we're going <laughs> to connect the dots between all those things for us. Can you describe what the, what, what the technology is doing in sort of at a high level, and then we'll, we'll pull it apart? You know, maybe, maybe some background too. We, you know, we firmly believe that the cloud, the cloud has a problem. That problem is centralization, right? The internet, we think of the internet as being decentralized, and it is. There's a bunch of machines all over the place running, uh, servers, workloads, um, the apps that make our modern life possible, but the ownership of those servers is highly centralized, right? Um, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, they have a huge, most of the cloud market and huge market share and it's growing, it's growing over time. And so what, um, what we do is we offer an, an alternative to the centralized cloud providers at much lower cost. Uh, we do that by, if you will, liberating the excess capacity that companies, non-cloud companies, have in their colo and on-prem data centers all over the world. So as we know, there's a bunch of idle capacity out there. Everybody listening probably knows that. There was actually a Stanford study a while back, uh, 2015, that estimated that there's about 10 million servers worldwide that are what they call comatose. 
right? And comatose is powered up online, but, but not having processed anything in over six months. So you can imagine, like, right. that's a lot of capacity because six well, months just, is pretty. Yeah. In, in my past, I've called those dark cycles. Yeah. Yeah, that's a similar, similar concept. Yeah, there's a significant amount. That was one of the things way, way back in the days when we were talking about Solaris and zones was the ability mm -hmm. to use low priority zones to capture those dark cycles. So I'm, I'm totally. assuming there's a there's a you're, you've got something similar. It's is this work where you have to take over a machine and, and change its function entirely, or can you sort of create background lo background load that gets deprioritized if there's other work? It's actually a CoreOS based agent that's running on the servers, and you because you the company uh, are running it on your own servers, you can set the priorities however you want. So you you could do exactly that, or you could, um, as you know, kind of a best practice for the folks that we have, uh, just just dedicate specific boxes uh, to the, to the Akash workloads. Is, is Akash then you take the complete server, you run CoreOS, CoreOS implies containers, implies Kubernetes, I guess to an extent maybe. We use Kubernetes. CoreOS doesn't necessarily specifically imply that, but it, but in our case, it definitely does. I guess I'm, I'm trying to frame out a picture of what the infrastructure would look like. I've got a server farm. I've got a certain number of idle servers that I can, that I, I can free up and, and put into the Akash network. Let's, let's, let's start with the assumption that I'm, I'm, it's a full-time thing. I've got a, you know, it's just extra servers. I bought it, throw it into that network. Yep. Do I need, you know, does that become a Kubernetes cluster? What's, what happens to that server when it becomes part of the network? You know, on day on day one, you know, one second after you after you install Akash, um, there's no pods provisioned. So there's no Kubernetes pods provisioned. There's um, you can think about our our platform as having two main components, right? There's a blockchain component, which is used for a marketplace, and then there's the deployment platform, the the actual provisioning. Uh, the creation of the pods, the provisioning of containers within, and then the management of them. And so if you're a provider, you can run the marketplace uh, nodes on your servers if you wish, and but you don't have to. But you can uh, also, you know, inherent, of course, in, in being a provider is that you, that uh, capacity on your servers is, is available for Kubernetes to, to provision what it needs. Okay, so there's a part of me that wants to dig deep into what this means to put nodes into the network, but my intuition tells me we better talk about how workloads are market the marketplace first, because yeah, yeah, that's the place to start. I, it, it seems like so. So if I, if I show up, who wants to use the the network? You know, it's a, it's kind of a two-sided marketplace, right? So there's providers who want to use the network to monetize their excess capacity. Uh, but I think your question is more about developers who want to use the network, right? Right. And, that's the, I think that's a good place to start because uh, you know, once we once we start following the rabbit hole for what the infrastructure is and how it how it works, we're going to keep going. But yeah, I, I need to know before, before I ask that question. I, I think I need to know what what work is showing up to leverage the infrastructure and how it gets. Uh, yeah. Sure, sure. So, and, and your your intuition is right that it, it starts with the marketplace, right? And so, if you're uh, if you're a developer, you know why you want to use Akash is 
number one, and this is really important, it's cheaper, right? This, the marketplace that I'll, I'll describe is an auction marketplace. And so you can get capacity, uh, excess capacity for, for cheap. Um, and it, it's also, you know, once, once we have our network of providers built out anyways, it's uh, truly distributed. And so the uh, benefit to you, of course, is being able to run your workloads closer to the edge because you're not using you know, one of 14 Amazon regions or whatever, right? You can be out at provider sites all over the world. And so from a, from a developer perspective, though, the, the really compelling, uh, compelling proposition, value proposition is cost. And so if you want to run a workload, then you specify uh, its characteristics in a YAML file. We call it our deployment file. Looks, looks like Docker Compose, right? And so you say, you know, I need these many machines uh, or instances running, you know, with, with this many vCPU, this much memory, et cetera, et cetera, these locations, specify whatever criteria you want. Um, you then run a command using the Akash client, which posts it to the chain, posts those criteria to the chain. Providers that are on the network detect it uh, immediately. Any provider that's capable of fulfilling those requirements automatically issues a bid, programmatic bid. That happens within a few seconds. At the end of a few seconds, then the protocol chooses the lowest cost provider. And at that point, the, and so until that point, all those transactions uh, are on chain. Everybody can see what providers are bidding what for which resources, right? And you can see the deployment requests that go out. Um, but what you can't see on chain, of course, is the information you want private, right? So, you know, your image, location, whatever config parameters you have, and so on and so forth. And so once the provider, once a provider wins, a lease is established between the provider and the tenant, and all that private data is communicated securely over to the winning provider, and a pod is provisioned within, you know, on one of their servers or one or more of their servers, pods, uh, and then your workloads are deployed from the image you specified in your deployment criteria. This is a use of blockchain as a distributed ledger that's avoiding what would otherwise be a centralized auction house. Yeah, exactly. The data, the data is sure. There's no need for a centralized database where bids are being made. It's all handled, handled through the distributed ledger. Bingo. And that, that's that's Bingo. the blockchain use case. Centralized. So somebody can show up with capacity and they don't have to even register with the authority, they can become part of the chain, you know, basically, and listen for bids. It's, it, they're not even publishing resources, they're listening for bids. They're listening for bids, that's exactly right. And, um, and that's an important, the decent, you know, that's core to sort of the openness of that is key to make the decentralized aspect work, right? Everybody sees everything. Um, and, and factored into that also is a notion of a provider's reputation, right? So anybody can join, it's decentralized, right? But your history of um, which, you know, what you've done, how well you've fulfilled against the leases that have been created for you as a provider, and uh, how much you've staked, how many uh, Akash tokens that you've staked uh, to become part of this network, it's not required, but you can, uh, all factor into a a data set that can be used to establish reputation, right? It's publicly available. Again, kind of core to the, to the decentralized aspect. If, if some rando joins on day zero, day one, then he or she might have 
characteristics that don't make them appear as reputable as somebody who has a long history of, of uh, fulfilled leases behind them. If I was going to take a container and I had you know, some, some valuable workload, I would look for reputable containers or reputable, reputable members of the chain uh, and, and yep. send it to them. If, if I just needed some processing done cheaply, who cares? And, the, and then so you could build reputation at it by, by starting low, by starting with less price, picking up these, these low costs. Yep. Here's, here's the thing that seems weird to me. So I've got this workload. How is it connected to the networks? How do I know about bandwidth? What about data storage? It, it, it feels like I'm sort of zipping my workloads off into the ether. And in compare, I mean, yeah, these, these big clouds are you know, big, but they're, they're pretty trustworthy sources. How do I right. know that what, you know, I'm, you know, I, I understand reputation. That makes perfect sense. But I, it, it feels like this sort of, it's very trusty. Uh, how do I know somebody's yep. going to you know, take my, my workload and, and then connect it to the things I need to connect it to? You specify, so that's a really good question, by the way. And it's, it's definitely like you have faith. You put your private keys up on Amazon because you have faith in the Amazon brand. And it, it's earned. That faith is definitely earned. But, but ultimately, you're trusting Amazon because they're trustworthy. They've established that over time. And so that's, you know, one of the reasons behind this decentralized and open aspect is, is you know, using, using the certainty of data to replace trust in a brand. But, but nonetheless, part of your question is around what you can specify as deployment criteria, right? So your storage and your bandwidth requirements are all specified, right? So you're guaranteed or you're, you're asking for and then in return being guaranteed whatever you've asked for. But part of it, and this is, this is kind of a weird thing for us, we, we find that like in talking about Akash, we are repeating a lot of the conversations that happened in the early days of cloud infrastructure in general, right? Because yeah. shared, shared infrastructure is a funny thing, right? You, there, there's, you know, to be honest, there's workloads which just should not be on the cloud and there's workloads that should not be on Akash, right? Really, you know, that are highly sensitive, um, financial data, et cetera, companies might not feel comfortable putting, putting that on uh, shared infrastructure. Increasingly, they are, but um, we're sort of repeating that same pattern just at a different level of abstraction now, if you will. That makes sense. And, and what about the opposite? What, you know, you're, you're taking in uh, workloads that are, you know, not yours, right? So you, you, you know, a lot right. of people with on-premises or co-load infrastructure, they're doing it because they didn't want uh, to be in a, in, a, in a shared infrastructure. What would encourage them to, you know, marketplace back capacity? Yeah. Well, money helps. <laughs> uh, so, and, and a lot of the DevOps um, that you would, that you, you know, DevOps, time and expertise that would be required to maintain a cloud of your own, you know, should you get that, get that in your head that you wanted to do such a thing, um, is, is handled by Akash. So from a OpEx perspective, it's a relatively low investment. From a CapEx perspective, there's a lot of servers that are already paid for out there. So the sure. money argument is, is a really good one. There's, you know, secure, people have security concerns, right? Um, and that's definitely, you know, it's mitigated in part by the nature of containers running in Kubernetes, 
right? And so, you know, a workload, as far as we know, can't can't bust out of its container. That makes um, sense. So, yeah, usually we're so worried about the opposite opposite direction. But a workload could scan the network it's attached to. It could probe things. It could you know be a script kitty, you know, search yep. vulnerabilities. I guess that's not any different than Amazon. Yep, and and that's and and that's something that we're you know working with our providers to understand. It's still you know understand what will be required from from our side as well as from their side in terms of best practices to make sure that that you're that you're safe as a provider right and that your network is safe i want to dive in on the infrastructure side because you've made some interesting devops statements but i i, I want to come back to this edge infrastructure um, because what you're describing is you know is also concerns that we've discussed in other podcasts about how we get applications distributed to the edge and how we build trust in those applications. So I want to I come back to that, sort of dying to dig in on the infrastructure side, because you're, you're making claims about it being super easy and, and automate, you know, DevOps automation being handled for you. You know, I want to I take, you know, I have a fleet of, uh, of Araka servers. I want to turn them into Akash servers. What do I do? So there's what you need to do and what you should do, right? Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> what you what you need to do is pretty minimal. Uh, so you install you install the Akash agent, and that that's pretty much it, actually. On on um, each on each server or on, on, on yeah exactly on each individual okay. server, and most likely you know so so minimally at very minimal level that's it. Right? So the the protocol handles everything else. It handles the scheduling and the provisioning. Uh, it knows what capacity is currently in use and what's available. It schedules appropriately. So yeah, without worrying too much about the like the speeds and feeds of like the bootstrapping and things like that, let's assume you get you get the infrastructure running. <laughs> well, I mean, it's you know, it's like you're saying it's open source technology. This is something that that people can replicate. I've got, I build a cluster, it's going to build a cluster. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a, a, a pod in that infrastructure that is then going to join the network and mm -hmm. register my capacity. How much, how much oversight do you have over, actually, let me take a step back because that's the, that's the, the what you can do. What should you do besides just installing the agents? A couple of things that you should do. Uh, first, it's nice to run a management server. So it's nice to, to have a, a separate server running that actually um, collects metrics and and watches what's going on. Um, you should also think about network isolation. Um, it's probably it's probably a good idea to to establish at you know one of the lower layers that that people can't jump out of those servers and get to anywhere that you don't want them to be. And you should also you should do what you do for your normal servers in terms of monitoring and uh, and keeping 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 an eye on things for lack of a better term to make sure that um, that things are running as expected and you're not getting weird spikes of network usage or CPU usage that indicates something that you don't want to have happening. That makes sense. And so then that that's keeping it from sort of leaking outside of your infrastructure. From that perspective, what would happen if you wanted to, like, if you had some seasonal load and you wanted to sort of expand and contract the, the cluster? Is that a reasonable thing to do? Is it something you can do, like, do on a yeah. daily or nightly basis? Yeah, totally, totally. That's and that's a 
That's a, that's a pretty compelling use case for a lot of our providers is this sort of electrical grid model, right? Where if you have excess capacity, you know, like like if you have a solar panels in the in the electric grid analogy, then you can you can sell that out to the network, right? But when you need capacity, you can buy it back from the network, and you can so you can expand and contract your own footprint, and you can also um, get capacity for your own workloads as a provider outside of your machines on the Akash network if you need if you need to burst to them. Right, that makes a lot of sense. In in these cases, wow. Blockchain, building a cluster. So if, if I had an, an edge infrastructure, I might, you know, I might be able to say, you know, I've got 10 machines here. I'm going to create a marketplace. I'm going to let people bid. Um, mm -hmm. Is part of what I can do identify geography or latency or something like that as part of making a selection? Yeah, exactly. Today, right now, you know, we're live with our test net and you can specify geography right now. Going forward, latency is going to be a criteria too, um, because you you know to have latency optimized uh, uh, deployment is sort of our uh, one of our one of our holy grails. That makes sense. So that you would be so you would be able to get as you know, bid to get close from a latency perspective to some type of workload. Is is there a yep. termination? So like so let's let's say I I was working my um, my, my you know, bid. I spin up my application. Things are going pretty well, but then the, that that user decides there's more attractive workloads. Do I have to like rebid on a clock basis? What's how do I how do I ensure that I'm I'm still there and and that basically I haven't been pulled into a bidding trap? So, do you mean from a from a provider's perspective or from, a tenant's well, perspective? Right? From a, from a tenant's perspective, I I guess both, right? Because you could you know. You could have yeah, a, right, exactly. You could all of a sudden decide there's something really interesting happening, and I need you know I'm going to sell out my capacity. You want to bid that up, right? How do you what's what what controls do you have from that market? Fundamentally, just to you know, there's there's a couple of sort of building blocks that lead to to your question, if you will. Lead sure. To answer. Um, so the the first is that if your workload goes down, then the default is you can you can override this, but if your workload goes down, then the default is to immediately reissue a bid for that same workload to be provisioned somewhere else. Okay. So from from a tenant's perspective, um, that that's helpful. Of course, there's cases where you might not want it, so you can you can override that default behavior. Um, and you, as the tenant and as the provider, you have the ability to kill, you know, to to terminate a lease whenever you want, right? And so that then leads to a collateral requirement. So if you're a tenant and you anticipate a, a long running job that you wanna you know, ensure is around, knowing that a provider can, can terminate it whenever they want, then uh, you can specify a collateral requirement that's forfeited if the, if the workload is terminated. Interesting. So that's, okay. Yeah, and that that you know leads it leads to better behavior, uh, and it also you know to be honest leads to sort of a factors into a cost benefit decision on the part of the provider, right? Because it still might be worth it the hit to their reputation as well as forfeiting the collateral to terminate a, a certain workload. You know, if there's better if there's a better market climate out there for for new deployments, right? And so. It's and and as the marketplace grows, we're going to see a lot of this behavior. So we're we're pretty iterative here. Um, build something, release it, 
get real world feedback, iterate, iterate, iterate. Would, the marketplace is not that big yet. Uh, we've got a decent amount of capacity for our testnet, but what's going to be really interesting is to see the economic behavior that occurs and what we allow versus what we forbid, right? What, you know, where, where does Akash, the Akash protocol need to forbid a certain set of activities, workflow, use case, whatever, or where do we allow it and provide just sort of visibility on the tenant and provider perspective so that they can make a decision and do what they need. So that's a long-winded way of saying that we're going to, we're going to lean towards openness. We're going to lean towards letting people, giving them the maximum flexibility, but with um, pre-established consequences. Oh my goodness. So there's all sorts of things that just pop up, right? So at that point, you know, you've got, you know, the, somebody could just shut the servers off, but you might have a, a bad, you know, somebody who's a bad actor that you need to then take corrective action. Shut machines. Yep. Wow. So, the, so all of these things have to be built into the management platform, right? So who's ever, are you expecting people in the network, the providers to act, to actively monitor the machines or is that something that overclock would, would offer as a service? That is super perceptive. <laughs> so, uh, the, so it's yes to both. Um, okay. So as a provider, you're going to monitor. You're going to want to monitor what's going on. But you don't have to, but you will, under normal circumstances, want to be able to monitor what's going on and to terminate bad actors if and when you need right. to. Right. Um, right. And then, and then you know, they'll, they'll get reputational damage, but... You know, initially, right. you have to have a police In, Initially, exactly, exactly. But, you know, there's going to be an appeals process, right? Right, um, there has to be that the, too. Has to be. Now, the, the, the reason I said, hey, perceptive, is because, I don't know if you can sort of, or I'm sure you can, but the listeners might be getting the point here that we don't make money on Akash. Right? Akash Network makes money for providers, and for people who are hosting the blockchain nodes, they get a, a cut of the transaction fees. But we as Overclock, we don't make any revenue off of Akash at all. Where okay. we do make revenue is selling tools that make Akash easier to work with. And so both from a provider and a tenant perspective, it's an open ecosystem. Anybody can do it. On, right? So whether it's managed database or whether it's uh, capacity management solutions, those those are tools that can be built on top of Akash and then charge a fee for, and that's what Overclock does. Gotcha. And so a lot of a lot of this monitoring, um, as well as as well as remediation, detection and remediation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, is part of what Overclock wanting to build on top of Akash. That makes because that was that was where I was going. It's like to make this work, you know, you have to have the server side pieces, but it's all it's probably just as important or more important to have client side pieces so that you can identify a workload and then you know, monitor and manage that workload so that instead of just you know, asking for you, because you don't just ask for new machines, you have to manage a bid process. Um, and so if I'm managing my you know, ephemeral Kubernetes cluster across multiple infrastructure providers, that's a client tool. I need, I need tooling to do that. Yeah, and is that how it would look? Would it look like a, a distributed, you know, federated Kubernetes cluster from that perspective? Yeah, exactly right. And, and so, does that mean that you're doing 
you know, you're basically creating a federated Kubernetes cluster, or it just has the appearance of a you know, sort of a Kubernetes cluster that has distributed nodes? It's it's actually the appearance of a Kubernetes cluster that's uh, distributed across nodes if you're on multiple providers, right? So if you're if you're running within a single provider, then it's a single Kubernetes node. Okay, so each across provider multiple, across multiple machines. So each 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 provider, is, or is it really just a Kubernetes infrastructure at that point, or is it or is there something more? Okay. No, no, it's from a management perspective. You're managing a Kubernetes. Uh, okay, and so, and so I get to you know I get to show up with my you know configuration file. I can drop drop the my my cluster you know my nodes into that cluster my my pods into that cluster. It's managed in a in a pretty consistent way. Would I have access to the control plane? So like, could I kube cuddle into each one of these clusters? It's running on your machine, so yeah, you do. Interesting. Okay, so your your front end, and then you it aggregates it into a distributed cluster. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of technology behind the scenes with this, where you really there's have. There's a ton. <laughs> okay. So, are you, does this does this run you know into or with the federation efforts that are going? Because there's a lot of what you're describing has some Kubernetes federation components, and I know there's a lot of open source activity. Um, that people want to go faster from that around around federation. This you're, you you sure. are a federation use case. We absolutely the federation use case. And um, here's where I defer to more knowledgeable people. Um, Greg Asuri, co-founder at yeah. Bosnitz, other co-founder who actually um, are part of that community. Okay, uh, makes that makes a lot of sense. But. This is a, a helpful way for people to, to think about what, what we're doing. And, and to me, you're yeah. providing sort of this, this crystal ball window into edge infrastructure. Because everything you're saying from, a, you know, <laughs> you're saying it differently than the edge people do, but you're still saying, <laughs> right? It's like, we can't, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. these big monolithic clouds aren't gonna work. We need to have distributed compute. We need to have, um, Distributed trust. We need to be able to let workloads move based on you know different criteria. All those things are really edge use cases that we talk about a lot. Um, you're the you're the first person who's really said, "Hey, we can do this with Kubernetes." Um, yep. As as the base, and that's that's super interesting. So do, does Kubernetes? Why why Kubernetes? Why why not your own container scheduler? Well, uh, number one. We've been, you know, we've been using Kubernetes for years, so we're comfortable with it, um, and we're, you know, thrilled with the progress that's been made too. It's a lot easier for us now uh, than when we started. The the other thing is we're kind of like this is this is an ongoing sort of head scratch for us is like we're basically running our own Kubernetes using Kubernetes. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So, you know, as, as Akash grows, that'll continue to be a question, right? What, to what extent are we just replicating Kubernetes, right? And to what extent should we? It's, yeah, it makes sense. Um, I mean, it's an important question to ask. There's, there's elements of, you know, trust, control, distributed API, multi-tenancy that you're, you, that you know, you're having to solve or inherent yeah. in the marketplace you're building that are not first run concerns in Kubernetes right now. 
Exactly, exactly, exactly. So that's good. That means that so, you're, you're driving the innovation forward from that perspective. Why not just do this with VMs? We, we could, but fundamentally we, uh, we're, just, we're just committed, frankly, to, to the sort of portability and lightweight nature of containers. Okay. Which makes, makes everything easier. It, make, it makes sense to me when I think about the edge use cases, and, and when I talk to most, most people about edge, they assume edge is really a container infrastructure not a virtualized infrastructure. Sorry, virtualized virtualization fans, but it's lightweight, it's portable. You yeah. have control of the net, you know, you, you, networking's a little bit more um, constrained, I think. So maybe the right word. Sure. Interesting. Uh, how long have you been working on the iTouch project? What's the, the, I know it's a little late to ask the Genesis story, but, but now that we have a really good idea of, of what's going on, I'm interested to hear what the, you know, why you did it, and then you know, what, what do you think is happening in the next, next six months to a year? Sure. Well, the, the why is kind of funny because the why is a lot closer to the edge story than the cost story. So um, Greg, you know, Greg, who I mentioned, and I both worked at a company called DemandBase, um, which, uh, and we built together with the team um, a B2B advertising product, right? So targeting businesses with display ads. And to do that, we needed to, we needed a lot of throughput. We needed an infrastructure that could handle up to a billion requests a day, can deliver payloads in under 50 milliseconds, because this was within a real-time bidding context, and to build an infrastructure where we could update thousands of nodes with no, with no downtime, right? And so we were able to do, number one, the you know, billion transactions a day, and number three, the updates pretty pretty well, but the 50 millisecond thing was never really consistently achievable for yeah. sort of obvious reasons. You don't know where the user is, and so how, given given where you're deployed in AWS, can you predict the latency for any random user that pops up? And you can't, right? And so the that was sort of the genesis of the idea of Akash, being able to run a lot closer to the edge than we were currently capable of. And so we worked on that actually starting in 2015. Uh, Overclock built a, a scheduler basically, which we called DISCO, Decentralized Infrastructure for Serverless Computing Operations. That's <laughs> DISCO acronym there. And, um, and the, the technology, you know, and Disco, just, you know, to think about it um, super high level, is our deployment platform, right? It's not the blockchain bit. Disco is the scheduler, right? Okay. And the, the technology worked great, but the business model, not so much because, you know, we approached it from a centralized perspective, right? And so how, you know, that implies sort of capital requirements on our part as we acquire, as we acquire the capacity. Um, and it implies sort of that you're going to trust this random San Francisco startup with your critical infrastructure, right? And so th those were problems we had trouble overcoming uh, until we, you know, sort of realized that the key to this is decentralization. The key is just taking all this capital that's already out there and just taking advantage of that and doing it in a way that's open so people can see and, you know, you can get that trust from data thing that I talked about. Um, and and that led us into, you know, those those business requirements, those realities, are what drove then the blockchain marketplace component. And so, unlike a lot of <laughs> unlike a lot of uh, 
blockchain companies, you know, we started, we started first by solving the technology problem and then uh, realized that this was a perfect business problem for, for blockchain. So blockchain came second. And we've been working on the blockchain part since more or less the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. Wow. Okay. The and, blockchain and part's it, the easy would part. It, would, it, would it be possible for you know, somebody to say, look, I'm, I want to offer, you know, I, a cable company comes in and says, I'm going to offer access to my data centers, but I don't want to be you know, mixed in with everybody else. I'm just creating my own block, my own chain, and create a completely standalone chain, like a private yeah. distributed infrastructure? Sure. Absolutely. In fact, there's a company that we're working with right now that's doing just that. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. And it just it just makes management of that distributed infrastructure easy for them, right? The the bidding and the payment is sort of irrelevant at that point. You're it, it's your own ecosystem. You're creating this magical internet money called Akash tokens, and you're you know just transferring them from yourself to yourself. Well, Nick, this is uh, Steve Inspector back, and uh, as usual, I jump in. Usually, Rob probably has ten more questions, but I have to block them. I do. And uh, I think this was really good. Put us in a whole new direction, thinking differently, talking about different stuff. I liked edge and blockchain coming together, Rob. It's, uh, we have a couple of a couple of podcasts about that. Uh, people need to listen to Z's podcast, which I think is already out. No, um, it's it's not out yet. It's on my to do list. So right, well, oh, yeah, right. by this time it'll, it should be out. I always have it'll to be out ahead. before this one. Time warp. Yeah, uh, time warp. So. I lose those chats, Welcome to the future. Yeah, Nick, thank you for joining us. If uh, the listeners want to learn more about the company yourself, uh, any thoughts where you should send them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, check out our website, akash.network, A-K-A-S-H dot network. And from there, you can get to all the, the resources we have as well as to the Akash GitHub repo. Or if you want to go directly there it, on GitHub, we're Overclock, O-V-R-C-L-K. Look for us, you'll see Akash and, and check out our code and our docs and run it yourself. Great, well thanks Nick, thanks Rob, and uh, to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We continue to search out and find interesting new ideas. I think this was a big hit. And so uh, our listeners will talk to you again soon. Thanks Nick and Rob. Thanks Steve, thanks Nick. Thanks Steve, thanks Rob.